Hello and welcome to Strange Sound. I'm Joe. Glad to have you with me once again this week. Here we are. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Here we are. Yeah. Um, sorry for the hallelujahs. There isn't much to hallelujah about these days, but there we have it. It is January 23rd, Saturday, as I am recording this. Um, we saw the inauguration this week of the what, 46th president of the United States, Joseph Biden, Joseph Robinette Biden Jr., um, and his vice president, Kamala Harris. Um, yes, we saw that on Wednesday, the 20th at noon, and I think Probably some of you saw it, some of you didn't. Who knows? There's a handful of you out there who are actually listening to this podcast. And again, I encourage you to share it with your friends. Perhaps like it, leave me glowing reviews on iTunes and the other platforms, please. Yes, I would very much appreciate it if you went to iTunes and left glowing reviews of Strange Sound and said how wonderful it is and how it changed your mind about everything and how it, in fact, changed your entire life. Or you could just say, yeah, it was okay. Or you could say, well, eh, I didn't like it. Something, anything. Anyway, glad to be here. Uh, I may sound like I'm in a buoyant mood. I usually react to things in this way. (laughs) That's uh, just how I am. It's how I'm built. I don't know what to tell you. Um, It's been a difficult time. As I've said many times before, uh, I'll do my you know five cent disclaimer. Um, the views expressed on Strange Sound are my own. They do not represent the views of anyone associated with me. Not my employer. Not my neighbors. Not my friends. Not my family. Not anybody else. Any similarity to other people's views are by pure coincidence. Uh, you know, I cite people in the podcast. That does not mean they endorse me. Or I endorse them. I just uh, I'm I'm referencing things that are out in the in the uh, media world um, at some level and uh, in other sources as well. Uh, so there you go. Uh, my opinions, though, are my opinions. Uh, they're no one else's. So um, anyway, as far as the COVID pandemic is concerned we're up well above 400,000 deaths again uh i think we're somewhere around 410,000 um these are abstract numbers right to most people this is just a blithering blithering number of deaths i mean it is just it's astonishing to me and i say this every time i know you're sick of hearing me say it i'm going to say it one more time i am just it, I find this appalling that we can stand here and actually take this without just practically losing our minds over it. I mean, it's it's just unbelievable. This didn't have to happen. And, I, you know, I blame Trump because Trump was the president when this started to happen. And he was in a position more than anyone else to prepare us for this. Remember, um, we've been spending in excess of $700 billion a year on the military. 
every year that Trump was president. That's to defend the nation. How did that money go to defend us against this? This thing that's killed 400,000 of us and counting. How did that help? Zero. In fact, Trump went out of his way to disable any um, early warning or um, proactive measures that had been set in place before his administration, weak as they were, there were resources in place that were set up to anticipate global pandemics of this type well in advance of them arriving on our shores, including you know, a relationship with China, with, with other countries. Um, and that's something that was disinvested in. Uh, they removed the pandemic advisor from and the, the unit that looked at pandemics from the National Security Council um, under John Bolton because he didn't see how that contributed to invading Iran or overthrowing the Venezuelan government. Uh, so he, I'm sure he figured it was a big, fat waste of time. We didn't want a bunch of scientists hanging around doing nothing. And that, in fact, is what Trump said. In case anyone has forgotten, early in the year 2020, when this pandemic was first taking hold, he was explaining the fact that he had gotten rid of all of these um, all of these uh, medical advisors and the entire unit that was dedicated to keeping an eye on global pandemics because he didn't want a bunch of scientists standing around doing nothing. He didn't like that. And he turned the CDC into some kind of a public relations outfit. You know, it's basically just laundering facts to make it look good. So all he wanted to do is look good. Now, he could have acted in response more aggressively, much more aggressively, and we might have cut back on the number of, of people who died. I, I, there's no question but that we would have saved lives that way. Probably hundreds of thousands of lives. But another thing he could have done was from the beginning of his presidency is recognize that pandemics are an ongoing threat. That this is an emerging threat. We've seen the signs before. Other administrations have taken this semi-seriously. I would argue not seriously enough, but semi-seriously. Even the Bush administration took it somewhat seriously. The Obama administration took it somewhat seriously. Now, as pusillanimous as they were, they didn't um, really invest a lot of money in it, but they put some money in it. And they tried to keep an eye on it. I think they recognized more than... Certainly more than the um, Trump administration did. They recognized that it was a threat. It was an ongoing threat, and it was something that, uh, that we had to keep an eye on and we needed to be proactive about. Trump dissembled that. So, yeah, I blame him, and I blame the Congress, and particularly the Congress of the first two years of the Trump administration, the Republican-led Congress, that was mostly all about disabling health care, and cutting rich people's taxes, so basically defunding the government more generally, and cutting back on, on public health, extending the neoliberal program that had been advanced for the previous few decades from you know Reagan through the Clinton years, through the Bush two years, through the Obama years. They've all been chipping away at it and you know, with help from governors of both parties, 
I mean, more adamantly on the right, but certainly, you know, Democratic governors as well. Cuomo cutting back on hospitals during his three terms, cutting back on Medicaid. We were left wide open for this thing, and it's killed 400,000 of us and counting. And I have to say, uh, the inoculation, the uh, vaccine process is a fucking mess. Pardon my French, but it's a fucking mess, monsieur. And quite honestly, I have, (laughs) I think I've mentioned this before. Uh, My wife has some underlying issues that make her very vulnerable to this disease. And uh, I have not been able to get her a vaccination. And the reason for that is that the supply of vaccines has has been so unreliable. That's largely a federal responsibility. Um, And right now, there's a pissing match between the state and our county government, our county health department run by our county government. Uh, They're basically pointing fingers at each other over why there aren't sufficient doses of the vaccines available for people who are eligible to receive the vaccine. Because right now, if you're over 65, which my wife is right now, um, don't tell her I said so, um, she <laughs> she should be able to get the vaccine. No questions asked. There's other people in key professions, you know, where they're front-facing, you know, first responders, um, medical workers, you know the whole list. You can look down the whole list. It's very complicated, but <laughs> uh, I am not one of those people. So that's okay. I can wait. No problem. But see, when I try to sign my wife up, who's over 65, she should be able to get a a shot pretty much any time. When I try to sign her up through the state site, they have her down for some time in April. Well, that's great. April, in case anyone hasn't noticed, is three months from now. Um, So (laughs) she's going to have to be like fending off COVID for three months, which is promises to be the worst three months in the history of the pandemic, quite plainly. We've already got more than 4,000 people dying a day of this. And she's got a serious underlying condition. She's got asthma and some other issues going on. And that's, you know, so this, this is massively pissing me off. At the county level, I mean... <laughs> For one thing, there's like 15 different ways to sign up for the vaccination, right? You can either go through the state or you can sign up at a couple of different sites at the county level. But they get the vaccine in lots of like 500 shots. So, and they don't know they're getting it and they don't schedule people for it until the shipment arrives. And then they're like, there's 500 shots, quick, sign up quick on the website. A coworker of mine told me the other day, it was like on Thursday, I think, she had actually emailed me and some of my colleagues uh, the night before uh, saying 500 shots became available and you can sign up. And I got right in and I was able to sign my mother-in-law up or something like that. Um, and it's it's like a gold rush. It's like she had to do it at 7 o'clock, 8 o'clock at night. You know, and I just didn't notice because I don't usually check my work email in the evening. I just kind of leave it for the next morning. 
And I checked the, the work email in the morning, and it was like, oh, fuck. So I went to the website, and of course they were all taken. All the shots were taken. They they administer them the same day, practically. So you find out that they're available at like 7 o'clock at night, the night before. And then you've got five minutes to be part of the gold rush, to be part of the fucking contest, to get in there first, to get an appointment to get a goddamn shot to save your goddamn life. And of course, unless you're fast and you're in the know, you're not going to make it, right? So then the next day comes and it's like, oh, I'm sorry, we're out of shots. Well, there you go. How's that work? That sucks. It's a stupid system. And all I can say is that if the Biden administration does not ramp up this vaccination program nationwide, including in rural places like where I live right now, a very small city, if he doesn't start ramping things up quickly, you know, this is going to be, this is going to continue to be a disaster. They need to pull out all the fucking stops. We need to get people vaccinated by the hundreds of millions. And a hundred million in a hundred days is not enough. They need to use that as like, as like the bottom. That's, that's the minimum. They need to work up from there. They're already doing that. They're already hitting about a million a day, but it ain't here. It ain't here. I mean, you got to be like, like be on the county website, you know, refreshing it every five minutes, 24 hours a day to have even a chance of signing somebody up who's eligible. And I'm talking about people who are eligible. It's not everybody. And that's just the first shot. I don't even know how they manage the second shot. But in any case, uh, it's going terribly here. Terribly. And I'm sure this is, this is true of uh, small communities all across the country. In larger communities, I think there's like long lines. You know, people waiting in long lines. That may or may not be true it, where you live. But I mean, I, I, I've heard stories to that effect. Here, I don't think the lines are as long, but there just aren't very many shots. It's because there's just no, there's no product. <laughs> there's no vaccines. That's the reason why there's no lines. They, you know, when people register, if you register for a shot through the state, they'll give you a date, they'll give you an appointment, and you can choose a location, and you'll, you'll have that appointment. But there's no guarantee that that's going to happen. You know, when you get close to the date, so you could sign up for April 3rd, right? And we could wait three months and get to April 3rd. And a week in advance of that, they're just as likely to just contact you and say, well, we had to cancel that because there's no shots. I mean, it's just an impossible situation. You know, this should not have to take a Herculean effort on the part of elderly people and people who are, who are vulnerable enough, enough to be eligible for the shot to get the goddamn shot. This is just outrageous. So I just wanted to put that out there. I know that some of you have probably been experiencing this yourself. Um, it's it's maddening. And I'm not trying to blame like the local authorities or even necessarily the state authorities, though I, I have some quibbles as to how they're handling it. I'm not an epidemiologist or a, or a public health official, so I couldn't really tell people how better to do this. But <laughs> I think... 
the main problem is that the federal government up to this time has not been pushing this. They do not have a plan for mass distribution and inoculation, you know, to the point of inoculation, not just distributing it to the states, but actually pushing the drug out, you know, getting it into people's arms, you know, using whatever means necessary. You know, if you need mobile inoculation vans, that's fine. Invest in that. Take some of the goddamn money that you're giving to the goddamn Pentagon and buy a bunch of vans and get a bunch of doctors or first responders or, you know, I don't know, nurses. Get a bunch of RNs. Get a bunch of nursing students. They can give a goddamn shot. Just do it. Do it now. That's my advice to Biden. I got more advice for him, but we'll save it for a few minutes. Anyway, uh, you've probably heard all this from other people, so I don't want to go on about it too long. Um, suffice to say that I'm I'm hacked off about it, and I'm cheesed off, man. I'm totally cheesed off about this. think you can tell. Anyway, uh, what was I going to talk about today? Well, you know, Biden came in this week. I watched the inauguration. I actually took the day off and, and watched. And it was cathartic to some extent. It was cathartic to see Trump flying away. Uh, took me back to, you know, 1993, January 20th, 1993, when George H.W. Bush uh, was finally leaving the White House. Uh, I sat there and watched him walk out the uh, back door of the White House and walk to the... Uh, walk to the helicopter and get on the helicopter and wave goodbye and then helicopter carried him away and and I got what I paid for at that point. I wanted to see him go and he left and then that was all I needed to see. And I, yeah, I may have watched like the inauguration of Bill Clinton but I wasn't all that into it. I didn't care. All I cared about was getting rid of George H.W. Bush. That was the payoff for me. And, you know, this was similar, right? It was similar. I saw Trump, you know, walk out the back door, you know, on the on the red carpet that he insisted on having rolled out. And he got onto the helicopter. Then he went to Andrews, Joint Base Andrews, as they call it now. Uh, had his little rally with his family and, you know, some other, you know, acolytes, um, mostly rich people. Pretty much all rich people, I think. And uh, he made a bizarre-ass statement that <laughs> I'm still puzzling over. I suppose I should have I should have like gotten a recording of it. Maybe I'll do this next time. Um, I should have like found a recording of it or at least a transcript of it so that I could uh, share some of the points there in case you missed it. Uh, if you didn't miss it, you know, maybe I don't need to, but I'd like to sort of expand on some of the points that he made. <laughs> I think the part the part of his farewell address that really kind of cracked me up was the part when he was talking about how, you know, uh, things should go okay as long as they don't change very much. That's uh, very complicated. You know, if you change something, things might go badly wrong. It's very hard to... Maybe hard to get the exact balance you need to he didn't exactly say that, but it was he was like drawing this picture of this this uh 
very complex machine that they built to produce such an amazing America that we have now, the, the great America that we have now. It's really hard. It's like playing Jenga. You know, and it's it's like, yeah, keep the thing in balance, perfect balance. If you remove one block, the whole thing might fall down. <laughs> Which was fucking hilarious. I don't think I heard anybody comment. I'm going to have to like, I haven't watched like the comedy shows. Like I haven't watched Seth Meyers or, or Colbert yet this week. I usually watch those on the weekends. Uh, but <laughs> maybe somebody picked up on that because that was effing hilarious. Uh, and he said a few other kind of hilarious things as well. Uh, some horrifying things. Uh, then his farewell was something like, have a good life. Have a good life. Okay. He was like, have a good life. We'll see you soon or something like, (laughs) which is kind of a strange combination of things. Have a good life. We'll see you soon. Uh, All right. Well, one sounds a little final and the other one a little bit less so, but okay. See you later, Trump. Take it easy. Get out. Uh, So glad to see him go. So, you know, again, that was the cathartic moment for me. It was nice to see him leave and leave and then I get the pleasure of seeing his children cry. Yes, I bathed myself in the tears of Trump's spawn. And it was very refreshing. (laughs) Anyway, uh, yeah, that was... Yeah, I got all that pleasure out of seeing Junior crying there, pretending to cry. Fuck you, Junior. Anyway, sorry about that, folks. I know this is not supposed to be a vulgar podcast, but please allow me this one transgression. Anyway, um, so out goes the Trump. Out goes the garbage. In comes the Biden. <laughs> And he's been abiding his time. Now, I will say, not unexpectedly, through a series of executive actions that he signed in the first couple of days, made some positive moves. I'll I'll say that I'm not going to be too effusive about it because it's stuff that we expected him to do. And he's doing less than might have been expected. But let me concentrate first on the positive things like the canceling of the Keystone XL. Uh, He needs to go further than that, of course. But canceling that, that's good. Returning to the Paris Paris Climate Accord, that's good. Not sufficient, necessary, not sufficient. Some other executive actions having to do with DACA. Uh, Maybe DAPA, I'm not sure. Um, The student loan thing, uh, yeah, it's pretty minimal. But it's better than nothing for the time being. I, my hope is that they will, you know, be compelled later on to do something a little bit more comprehensive. I mean, that's kind of what they promised. They've they've declared their intention to extend the START two treaty or the New START treaty. I think it is start, New START treaty uh, with the former Soviet Union, Russia, the nuclear arms control treaty, the one that was uh, running out, one of the ones that was running out, uh, that's good. Uh, I My hope is that, I mean, they they kind of, <laughs> they did it in a kind of like an offhand way. So it was like, 
you know, they were, they had to set the context of being in an adversarial relationship with Russia, all this stuff. But, okay, fine, great, knock yourself out. But in any case, better to have that affirmed as part of the international arms control architecture that isn't being torn down. Now, what I want to see, and I don't know whether they've done this yet, but what I want to see is the other treaties that have been that have been departed from and abrogated by the Trump administration, um, particularly those you know dealing with the uh, former Soviet Union and arms control. Um, I want to see those reestablished, and I don't know what their intention is with regard to that. The uh, intermediate range missile treaty, I want that back. Um, there were a number of them that that uh, Trump has let go. And that's, you know, they need to reestablish those as soon as possible. With regard to the JCPOA, the uh, RAND deal, uh, they have said that it is their intention to reestablish that. Now, I'm a little concerned about what I heard Jen Psaki say at the first um, press conference, White House briefing, I should say. Um, I'm a little concerned about that. Because I, it sounded like what they were saying is that Iran has to come back into compliance with the JCPOA provisions as far as like en- enrichment of uranium before they'll actually sign off on doing that. And I'm a little little concerned about that conditionality. Um, they seem to be also saying that they want to they want to talk to the other parties in the in the in the agreement. Um, and try to get them on board with, you know, putting pressure on Iran. That's what it sounds like to me. Um, given this the situation, what the situation has been, particularly over the last couple of years, with the United States assassinating a top general and a top Iranian general in Iraq, by the way, um, violating Iraqi sovereignty, such as it is, um, I, I want to see where they're going to go with this. I'm not encouraged by what I've heard thus far, though. Um, I want them to reestablish that that treaty and that process and to build on that so that we don't end up in a conflict with Iran, which was what people were justifiably worried about during the Trump administration. They were heading straight towards conflict, open-armed conflict with Iran you know, with the encouragement of Netanyahu. Another thing that's uh, troubling is the fact that they are not going to move the American embassy back to Tel Aviv. They're going to leave it in Jerusalem, which is a stupid idea because they don't want to go back on that. Now, this is something that was toyed with by uh, Democratic candidates for president for decades. Democratic candidates for the nomination the Democratic nomination for president for decades uh, from when, you know, Al Gore ran against Michael Dukakis in 1988. He was saying, you know, we want to move the, we want to move the embassy to Jerusalem. He wasn't the last to do that. A lot of them used that as a political issue, knowing full well that the official policy of the United States was based on the relevant UN resolutions on uh, Israel-Palestine. 
or the occupied territories, I should say, that the policy of the United States was to not fully recognize Israeli sovereignty over East Jerusalem. Um, That was broken by Trump, and they're going to leave it broken. That's a mistake. Not a mistake, maybe deliberate bad policy is what I should say. Um, It's just a bad decision. Uh, So that sucks. I don't like that. So we got the JCPOA. That sucks that they're not, you know, moving a little bit more um, reasonably with that. Uh, The Jerusalem embassy issue, that sucks. That's just signals that uh, they're going to be close to not only the Trump position, but the Obama position on Israel, which is not a good one. And... We'll have to see where that goes. I'm not encouraged. Tony Blinken appears to be... uh, (laughs) He appears to be doing what most uh, Democratic secretaries of state do regarding Israel-Palestine. So, not good. Also, Tony Blinken um, said that... I think it was he who said this. um, Either that or one of his spokespeople said that they are still recognizing Juan Guaido as the leader of Venezuela. Now, this is ridiculous. It's just ridiculous. The guy is not the leader of Venezuela. I know you want him to be, but he is not. That is, that's just delusional policy. The man does not run Venezuela. You may not like Maduro. A lot of people don't. Fine. Have your differences with him, but don't don't pretend that somebody else is running the country they're not. Don't pretend that there's a government in exile because the man has zero legitimacy. Guaido. Guaido is a right-wing idiot. He doesn't have a constituency beyond his narrow his narrow right-wing party. He has no legitimate claim to leadership in in uh, in Venezuela. It's ridiculous. But, once again, they'll follow on bad policy with more bad policy. See, this is what I was talking about in the run-up to the election. As I've said many times before, if you looked at Joe Biden's campaign website and you looked for foreign policy positions beyond those that dealt with immigration, you know, just as a policy having to do with source countries— for immigrants heading to the United States, like how to how to deal with countries of origination like um, Guatemala, Honduras. You know, it was mostly stuff like that that you would find in the foreign policy section. Of, well, there really wasn't a foreign policy section. It was just mostly about, it was just like a long list of policies. If you sorted through that, you would have a very hard time finding anything that didn't at least bear on immigration or climate change. There are a couple policies in there that talked about foreign policy. In a, in a bank shot kind of way. But no overall overarching vision or specifics having to do with specific conflicts. And now we're beginning to see it emerge. 
as many people feared, it's the blob returning. Okay? Not as bad as Trump, but not enough better that we can feel good about it. And that's troubling. I've yet to see them say, I've yet to hear them say anything about North Korea or about the Korean Peninsula more generally. Um, I haven't seen any policy or heard any policy uh, pronouncements on China. Um, I haven't heard a lot about Yemen or Saudi Arabia. Um, Maybe someone can uh, chime in about that. Uh, I still haven't really heard anything about that. I know that there's some rumblings in Congress as to... um, I think it was Ron Wyden who talked to uh, Avril Haines. I think it was Ron Wyden who was uh, asking her if she would um, agree to, I think, making available um, intelligence on the uh, Saudi government's role in the uh, murder of Adnan Khashoggi. I'm probably pronouncing that wrong, but... Um, yeah, so, uh, she had agreed to that, I believe. Uh, so we'll see. Will they do that? I don't know. I've yet to see any, um, articulated policy on either the conflict in Yemen or the, uh, Korean conflict. I'm sure as they get their, um, foreign policy team in place, we'll start to hear some stuff about that. It's worrying, uh, I'm I'm a little concerned about it. As you can tell, uh, Sam Cedar on the Majority Report has pointed out that, and I think David Dayan as well, um, has have pointed out that um, Biden's uh, COVID plan and COVID recovery plan has incorporated some of the provisions of the HEROES Act that never really got off the ground last year. Um, that got passed by the House, but it was left to languish in the Senate. And uh, he's picked up the portions having to do with health insurance, health coverage, uh, which includes a provision to fund COBRA, which is a ridiculous policy. Um, maybe that was arrived at last year in the HEROES Act in you know, in consultation with Biden. Maybe he's doing that in his uh, COVID relief package as, you know, as a way of sort of underlining what um, the congressional Democrats were doing, what the congressional Democratic leadership was doing with the HEROES Act. I'm not sure how that came to be. But again, it's just bad policy. It's really just a sop to the insurance companies as uh, Sam Cedar has pointed out. It's it's the most expensive way to provide health insurance for people. It's a ridiculous, ridiculous way to do it. Anyone who's been on COBRA knows what I'm talking about. Massively expensive. Now, naturally, they don't want to expand things like Medicaid, Medicare, anything like that, um, to cover people who've lost their health insurance because they lost their jobs. And again... Joe Biden was the candidate uh, during the the, um, primaries that was saying, 
you know, all these 170 million people in America have have uh, health insurance through their employer. You know, we don't want to take that away from them. Okay, great. Well, a lot of people lost that health insurance because they lost their goddamn job. And what's left of them is COBRA, right? And COBRA costs a fortune. You're paying this outsized cost. It, essentially what COBRA amounts to is that if you have employer-provided health care, um, they pay a portion of it, you pay a portion of it. If you get laid off, you can, through COBRA, maintain your coverage, but you have to pay for both parts of it. You have to pay the employer part as well as as the employee part. In my case, my employer pays about 80% of the uh, insurance uh, premium. So if I get laid off, if I went on COBRA, uh, I'd have to pay uh, five times as much as I'm paying right now. Which would be crushing because, again, I would be out of a job. <laughs> and the fact that... <laughs> I mean, the idea that in a relief package you would pay for that is just insane. It would be so much less expensive just to give people Medicaid or Medicare give them coverage, it would cost less than that because it it just intrinsically costs less per person, right? You wouldn't have to pay the the same massive rate that you're paying, uh, you know, as, as a private citizen using COBRA. So it's just a dumb idea. I don't know. I mean, again, I know there's people out there and I don't know if anyone listening to this is among that group, but I know there's people out there who just want to like celebrate the fact that, you know, Trump is gone and I'm glad Trump is gone. I've said it before, I'll say it again. He was a uniquely dangerous individual to have in the presidency for a range of reasons that I've talked about before. I'm not going to go into it now because, you know, I've been yakking at you for a while now, so I'm, I'm pretty much done, but I just want to say I am glad he's gone. We are safer today because of it, because he was a highly dangerous man. He sent a bunch of marauding insurrectionists into the Capitol building to smash it up and to interrupt the constitutional process of selecting the next president and essentially confirming and making official the vote of the American people. That was an attempted coup. That was an insurrection. Uh, sent by Trump, and it wasn't his only effort. It was based on his lie that he won the election. He didn't. He lost by 7 million votes, and he lost lopsidedly in the Electoral College. Period. He lied. He sent them there. Aside from the fact that he's just a, he's a loose cannon and, and someone who just signs off on bad policy all the time, like bad nominations and you know, bad judicial nominations and just bad policy sent up by the Republicans. So I'm glad he's gone, but that doesn't mean I'm not going to call out the Biden administration for the stuff that I disagree with. Just now hear this. You're going to hear it from me. And that's what you would expect, I would think, if you're listening to this. If you're listening to this. Anyway, that's all I got. 
I'd like to hear what you have to say. If you like, you can leave a one-minute voice message at anchor.fm slash strange sound. Leave a one-minute voice message. I'll be glad to listen to it. I'll be glad to either read it or play it on the show. Uh, if you want to have a Zoom session with me, we can talk. Just tell me how to get in contact with you. And uh, you know, you can leave that privately. I won't share that with people, obviously. Uh, we can have a little Zoom session. Uh, if it's something that isn't too embarrassing, I'll play it on the air. <laughs> I'll play it on the show. I can't, I'm not going to guarantee anything. You know, if you make a monkey out of me, I probably won't play it. But <laughs> if you express your opinion and it's a reasonable opinion and it isn't like encouraging people to burn things down, uh, I would be happy to, uh, to play it on the show and respond to it or have a conversation with you. You can communicate with me via Twitter at strange sound pod. You can also learn more about me and find other ways of contacting me by going to big-green.net and clicking on either the contact tab or you can click on the podcast tab and uh, get more information there. (sighs) Would be great to hear from you. Uh, Hope you're all well out there. Take care of yourselves. Uh, Should talk to you again next week if all goes well and... Stay safe. Be well. We'll talk to you then.